Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the older brother of Matt Farrell, who's about to say hello. Hello. Today, we're going to be talking about his most recent episode, which is titled Exploring Solar Panel Efficiency Breakthroughs in 2020. This episode dropped on July 28th, and that means that we are almost in August. Wait a minute. No. We are in August. <laughs> it's happened. It's already happened. <laughs> it's, the oh month God. is in the building. I think that one of the things that came out of your video that I most appreciated was you putting it into the sense of scale as far as time is concerned. Yeah. I yep. think that was a really useful yardstick to say, okay, here's where this all started. And it started, if I remember correctly, in the late 19th century where the first breakthroughs around energy mm -hmm. and light yes. yep. and then fast forward to 120 130 years later that just like all technology the speed of evolution of this field is growing exponentially so that you end up having now research bearing fruit in 10 years instead of 100 yeah it, it's speeding up and part of the reason it's speeding up is that there's more interest in it because it's becoming actually affordable which drives more businesses and researchers to find more efficient ways to do things so it's like it's kind of like a i don't know snowball rolling downhill it's just kind of picking up steam one of the things that you point out in the video is that the number of different options for manufacturing includes ones that are more durable but less efficient, ones that are more efficient but less durable, and people who are mixing and matching those. But you do point out that what was the the one that's not silicone? Oh, it's perovskite. Yeah. I was yeah. actually going to make a joke about I went to a school with a Cindy perovskite, but <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> Couldn't remember the word, so there goes that joke. <laughs> anyway, you mentioned that it involves lead in the production, which then adds a layer of concerns about uh, potential environmental contamination if it's not handled properly, either during manufacture or during takedown. Right. And one of the commenters on the video pointed out something that occurred to me, which was, are you planning a video that would be around recycling of this kind of technology? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually right now working on two different videos, one around the challenges to wind power and recycling those and another one around solar and the challenges around production and recycling, because those are two issues that are commonly brought up of around these technologies are. Yeah, this is great that we can make this, you know, quote, renewable energy, but what kind of damage are we doing? with the technology itself. So right. I'm going to be diving into that in the future. Yep. It's interesting. There's a lot of arguments that can be made around energy production, the engineering required to do it, the byproducts, the unwanted byproducts at the end of it. And when you compare these different technologies, there's a lot of apples to oranges comparisons that are thrown out. And then there are apples to apples comparisons that are yes. sometimes ignored. And I think that this is one of those times where the apples to apples comparison is ignored when somebody says, oh, well, you get all that waste from making those solar panels. Now you've got that. Yep. And I look over at oil rigs. Yes. And I look at oil refineries <laughs> and giant oil tanks and tanker ships and pipelines. And I'm like, what are you arguing about that this this solar panel over here is a problem 
That's my that's my favorite argument is. Yeah. Well, what about the the disaster you're going to do when we can't recycle them? And like, it's going to create all this problem in the landfill. It's like, yeah, yeah okay, that is, yes, true. Yeah. Okay, that's something we should probably yeah. be looking into, which, oh, yeah. by the way, we are. Oh, by but, the way, we could put a recycling plant where that coal burning power plant <laughs> currently <laughs> is. Yeah, it's like, let's, let's, let's look at the environmental impact between these two things. Oh, wait, this is still way better. <laughs> the only way I'm doing it. It's like, it's, it's an argument of if it's not perfect, screw it. You know what I mean? It's like, wh- why change if it's, if it's, if it's this great green energy source, but it's actually not. So let's not even bother. It's like, no, 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 this is a step in the direction we need to be going. So why would we not take that step? And then there's going to be a step beyond that. So it's like, I just find it insane. <laughs> Those it's points. an argument that lets the perfect stand in the way of the good. It's the argument of, it's the two things. It's one, ignoring the greater good when you weigh the, as you pointed out apples to apples and then also just the everything has to be perfect or don't even bother it's 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 the it's the i, I kind of i always refer to it as like the status quo thinking of what we have today is just fine and if we're going to yeah. change it and that doesn't have to be just a little bit better it has to be perfect or dramatically better and that's not that's not the yeah. case <laughs> and it's there's definitely a human I don't know about research into this, but there definitely seems to be that that part of the human brain that latches onto whatever is now is normal, and so that 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 idea of of reinforcing the contemporary current experience and, and change being difficult and change is difficult to different scales for different yep. people. The multiple types of solar panel that you describe, it seems. This is one of the things you touched on very briefly in a in a comment about one of the the styles, but you didn't go deeper into it. It seems very clear that the different research going into the different types of panels is in some ways linked to where would we put these? Yes. So you have yep. the types that you describe boats, planes, cars could have this very flexible version built into them. Whereas the other ones where you'd have acres and acres of empty land, you just put the panels up and they just sit there. Exactly. A very different type of technology and it's more rigid and more fragile, but it doesn't matter because it's not meant to be bent and, and utilized in a, um, wouldn't even know what you would call that more dynamic, I guess, environment. It's like a grid scale storage where you're building in acres of solar panels. You don't need the most efficient solar panels made to do that. You could go with a less efficient solar panel, which reduces the overall costs and still get, you know, just if you have enough land, you can just build it all out and get the same power that you need and saving money where on somebody like me who has a very tiny roof and tiny plot of land to be able to put solar up, I need the most efficient panels I can get. So it's like you're, you're, you're tailoring to the situation what you need. And I didn't even touch on it in the video, but like people brought it up in the comments that NASA for decades has been using panels on their satellites that, right. and, and that are crazy efficient. Like they are off the charts efficient, but they're like hundreds of thousands of dollars per square inch. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. they're really expensive. So, so it, it's one of those you're, you're doing what's right for this given situation there's not a one size fits all thing here. You can just, yeah, it's, I even didn't touch on things like people brought up like half cut solar cells, um, 
uh, bifacials, which are solar panels where it actually lets the light go through the panel. And then it, when it bounces back off of the surface behind the panel, it's getting captured again on mm. the backside of the panel. Um, there's all these different things that are being are happening in the solar industry. And I didn't bring those up because they're cool, but they're not like revolutionary pushing the envelope. Um, mm. Like half cut solar cells are, are more efficient than the regular sized solar cells, but it's not something that's like earth changing. Um, and I just was trying to keep the video focused. So I was cutting certain things out and just leaving them out because there was just too much to cover. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of cherry picking the ones that I thought had the most interesting factoids about them and showed mm-hmm. the progress that's being done instead of trying to be a completionist and cover all of the things that are happening. If you're building homes, it's called passive solar homes. It's like you're taking the environment and the like the orientation of the house on the plot of land and what trees and hillsides and things are around the home and you're building roof structures that will allow sunlight in during the winter time because the sun is lower in the sky but the overhang of the roof is sticking out far enough that in the summer when it's up higher it's like there's not it it provides more shade than light just because it's taking into account like how much the energy is going to be captured inside the house to regenerate that heat and like it's it's not rocket science but so many architects don't were not trained in that and don't think about that. So they built your office space the way they built it because it looked pretty. And it they didn't take into account the ramifications of those decisions right. when it comes to energy. And so there are more and more architects that are taking that into account. And it's, it, it just needs to become pervasive. And it's such a waste because you end up with a building that is now using insane amount of electricity <laughs> to heat and cool the building when yeah. if you just in the beginning spent a little time figure out you know how to do it so that you still get the light that you want but you're not heating up the space in an uncontrolled way yeah insane it makes me angry <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the nice byproduct of this technology that you're describing is a building that even if you did ignore all of that it would at least be creating its own energy through the solar technology to then power the air conditioning inside. If that's, you know, if it, if it comes out in the wash, it's at least that's better than the current experience of ignoring it entirely. I wanted to touch on the thickness aspect, which I was stunned when you said that the solar panel that is in fact, one of the multi-layer ones. Yeah. Is the one third of the width of a human hair. Yeah. It's crazy thin. These, so, these layers so, on solar panels are super, super thin. They're like really, so solar really crazy panels thin. that we're accustomed to seeing. You drive down the highway and you see a bunch of solar panels. That's mostly just frame. Yes. Oh my god. It's mostly because it's it's this stuff is encased in glass and then surrounded in like an aluminum frame and framework to give it strength and rigidity. Because like the solar panels on my roof, which you've seen are what you'd expect and they can withstand hailstorms of hail that's you know an inch and a half in diameter mm. and hurricane force winds they're designed to withstand the elements but the actual right. solar cell that's embedded inside of there is super crazy thin it's like really really thin and fragile and it has to be protected with all the stuff that's built around it right your final i don't even know what to describe it as the moment in your video where you describe <laughs> the shadow shadows <laughs> yes 
and the technology to use contrast as a energy production tool. Yeah. First of all, it sounds like sorcery. It's it's dark magic. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yes. I couldn't help but wonder if it was possibly an accidental discovery. I just like the idea of a bunch of researchers standing somewhere and they're like, well, what's our efficiency? Well, it says it's 15%. Gary, Gary, you're standing in the way. Move out of the way, Gary. Gary, idiot. Wait a minute, it just dropped to 7%. What's that? What's going on here? <laughs> Gary, Gary, get back in there. <laughs> Gary, stand in there. Stand right there. Oh my God, Gary. Oh my God, Gary. We need another Gary. It's, it's one of those things where it's, I, I cannot pretend that I completely understand how this works, but yeah. somebody in my comments, I can't remember his name right now, did a wonderful job explaining the physics behind it. And it's essentially, it's, it's, it's how the energy is transferred between the light and dark that mm. elect, I believe it's, I'm going to say this all wrong. It's basically like the electrons finding the path of least, least resistance. And so in that contrast area, they're trying to basically fill the void. And so they're moving from one to the other. And basically this is just the energy it. of the light probably does something that makes the electrons and the light and the dark behaving differently. So there becomes yeah. this motion between them. Yes. And so mm. it's basically capturing that. Now I did a horrible job describing it because I'm not a physicist, but it's, yeah, it's, but that's, it's, it's it's crazy stuff. It's like, this does seem like dark magic. And the fact that they have a device now built that can capture this is like, what? Cause you could start putting this stuff on things around your home or they could charge themselves. Like imagine a phone that had something like this on it. And cause through the course of the day, it's going to constantly have shadows and things across it. And what if it's mm -hmm. generating small amounts of energy that it could charge itself? It's like, that's, in addition to a like solar cell that can also just take the power of the sun. And so it's like right. suddenly you have a device that no matter what you're doing is probably capturing some form of electricity. <laughs> it raises questions around things like you could have a wall inside an office building or a home mm -hmm. if there were windows nearby mm -hmm. and the sun was going to be moving in such a way across that side of the building that you could have the energy production within within the structure, not just on the exterior. Exactly. Yep. This would probably be very enticing for certain buildings that don't want to add solar panels to the exterior because of maybe environmental issues. Like you mentioned, your solar panels had to be specked out so that they can withstand hurricane force winds and hail and stuff like that. There may be buildings and locations where they're like things we get damaged too easily, you know, sandstorms or whatever. External panels might not be a good investment. But then it opens up the idea that, well, you could include things interior. That made me wonder, is there energy production? Is solar power only solar or does any light source end up helping produce electricity because then that becomes a question of could you create not a hundred percent efficient obviously but a power loop where you are powering light production in a building and that light in the building is also stimulating the solar production of a panel that's on the inside i would say yes because i think you and i have probably already seen this happen you remember this is going to date us, but you know, we had calculators that started having little solar cells on them. Yeah. yeah. Remember that? 
mm-hmm. you could get those to charge off of your ceiling light. Right. Uh, because solar panels are capturing different wavelengths of energy from different wavelengths of light. You know, I mean, it's, 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 that's what it's doing. And that's part of the reason that these multi-junction solar cells work is that they're each, each layer is capturing different spectrums and turning that into energy. So of course you could, you could definitely have something that could capture something out of a, you know, lights that are being used inside your home and again, my, clearly not 100% efficient, and it would not oh be... Oh, God, no. No. It would not be the sort of thing where you'd say, like, I'm going to turn one wall of my living room into a solar panel, and then I will be able to power my own home. It's, no, it's, it's, it's not what I'm returns. arguing at all, but yeah. it does create this sort of, if you have an office building and one wall near this hallway was a solar panel, would the ceiling lights also be adding to that production? And it's kind of a crazy, like, that would lower costs even minusculely but lower costs again but you also have to look at the the overall costs like what would that solar wall cost and how much energy is it actually going to be reclaiming and chances are you're not going to return get a return on that investment so right yeah i think what i'm trying to say is that it would be a byproduct that would just be like a cherry on top of a cherry you know, your goal would be to, I'm going to put this panel here because it will be efficient because of the solar light that is coming through these windows and creating energy production. And then the weird side byproduct is, oh, your ceiling lights are also going to be causing some energy production, but it's negligible. I, I didn't write it down. I should have, but there was a, this designer that gave a Ted talk and what she does is she uses basically any form of solar panel technology she can get her hands on and creates these gorgeous architectural designs and furniture that all utilize this stuff that she was describing how some of the things she's designed have been able to like become self-sufficient and she talked about what you were just talking about windows that are tinted that are also solar panels Mm -hmm. and inside the house she showed this table that she had built and you could not tell that there was a solar cell as the surface and Mm. the surface of this table was actually just a gigantic solar cell and it generated enough power that you could charge multiple phones from it. So built into the (laughs) table were like these little chargers that you could drop your phone on. And so the table itself, which was a cordless table, there's no wires. That's great. You have a living room table that you have there and then through the the window, which is a solar panel, so it's like the window is capturing stuff, but still letting light in that's hitting the table, which is also capturing more energy, which is turning that in so you can ch- right. charge your phones. And she talked about all the stuff that she's doing that actually works and you can do it in a beautiful way, create things that don't look solar. They just look like beautiful objects you'd want to own. And yet they're still generating their own power. It's, it's part of the reason I get so excited about this because this kind of technology, our, our entire lives, energy has been a grid, like this massive grid of electricity lines where there's one place that's generating the power that's sending it to millions of people and you can end up with situations like in new york city the great you know blackout of what was it 1970 or something Mm -hmm. like that yeah where hundreds of thousands of people were without power yeah 79 it's that that those situations are created when you have setups like we have but with things like solar panels and so and battery technologies and things that we're moving towards it starts to become microgrids and suddenly 
energy is not just being generated in one location, it's being generated everywhere and captured everywhere and used everywhere. And suddenly our dependence on a centralized source is diminished and massive blackouts like that will become either less prevalent or impossible because right. <laughs> we've moved down a completely different path. And to me, that's super exciting because it, it means it's like the democratization of energy. It's, it's, it's the possibilities for developing countries, the possibilities for even our country. It's like, it's, it's really just kind of mind boggling where this can go and how it can really help everyone. And as a very quick transition off of this subject and onto just talking about uh, some of the pop culture stuff we've been enjoying, I just want to ask really quick and don't give anything away because I'm sure you've got videos in the hopper that are going to focus on this. You received your power wall mm -hmm. and you needed to install it. Has that mm -hmm. happened? No, it's currently laying on the, my garage floor, <laughs> <laughs> but it looks great. It looks, the box is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> It's getting installed next week. Right. So you are on your way to being a part of that breaking of the grid. I'm actually becoming, I'm applying to be part of a virtual distributed battery system here in Massachusetts. I'm, a, hmm. I'm applying to be part of that. So yeah, I'll be doing a video talking in depth about all this coming up. That's great. Very interesting. So before we sign off, as usual, we take a moment to describe things that we have been enjoying and while matt is quickly brainstorming to try and figure out what has he been doing because not even he knows no. i will describe my recent experiences with the peacock app which uh oh oh dear is <laughs> nbc's attempt to entering enter the streaming realm and like any sort of streaming app it's got some quirkiness to it, I guess. Um, <laughs> it, it right off the bat, one of the things about it that I understand the need for is it comes with ads in the programming. Mm -hmm. I don't see that as a problem because at this point we've entered an era where we have so many options for streaming apps and ways to get entertainment that it is the the cable industry always tried to scare away from an a la carte programming arguing that costs would actually go up and they were both right and wrong because more consumer choice is a positive i think that more consumer choice is always a positive it's always something to be more options is just going to lead to a better user experience in most cases this app is just like any app is completely unnecessary it's like NBC literally saying like, we control the rights to all these things. And if we just hold on to these rights and stop sharing them with other stream services, we could do it ourselves and then make that money. So it's them yelling me too, me too, me too. Yes. Yeah. Like CBS all access. I do have a problem with the fact that you pay for that app, but it also has ads. That's a problem. Um, I don't, I don't like that, but their programming is programming that I'm like, I definitely want to consume this. So they've kind of got me by the, by the short hairs. I don't think NBC is quite in the same boat as far as having programming that I'm like, Oh, I'm desperate to see this. 
So I'm willing to go with the unpaid version. You, there is a paid option which will remove the ads, uh-huh. um, but I don't think it's it's entirely necessary. All that is, you know, sort of in the not necessarily a con, but just like you know, on the yeah, that's not so great side. What is on the positive side is you forget how many great programs and how many great movies Universal holds in their library. And so right off the bat, the library of things that are available on the app are actually pretty impressive. And last night we watched a movie that I had never heard of before. And I found out about it because of a New York Times article that had a a list of, I think it was seven, the best seven movies to stream off the Peacock app. And this movie was compared to Casablanca and it's called Hold Back the Dawn. It's from 1941 and it stars Charles Boyer and Olivia de Havilland. And it is the story of Charles Boyer plays George Escovescu, who is a Romanian who is trying to get out of Europe and he has made it as far as Mexico. So he's waiting in a border town in Mexico for a visa to come into the United States. And he discovers from an old acquaintance, they were both basically gigolos. He was a gigolo Mm -hmm. and she was the female version of that. And they had spent years in Europe conning wealthy people before the war, but now during the war, they are trying desperately to get into the United States. And he finds out from her that the fastest way to do this would be to find an American who'd be gullible enough to get married. And then it shortens their wait from, he's told at one point that it could be four to eight years before he can get in. And he finds out from this woman that it could be four weeks if he just gets married. So he finds Olivia de Havilland's character who plays a school teacher who on a school field trip meets him. And he, within a day, is able to sweep her off her feet and Hmm. convince her to marry him. And it is a, I could see why there are comparisons to Casablanca, because it is the story of lost and bewildered people who are just clamoring for opportunity to get to safety and what they're willing to do to get there. And the growing awareness of individuals, of their moral, their own moral compass that they didn't know they had. And the movie is at turns, just like Casablanca, it is funny, but it is also dark and it is very, very well written. I really enjoyed it. So it's kind of a um, indirect thumbs up on the Peacock app for me that (laughs) because it has free programming, because it is ad-based it's worth trying, I think. So I recommend people pick it up. And if you do nothing more than watch a couple of old movies that you didn't even know about, because it's got a bunch of stuff, including it has, I think, 11 Hitchcock films. Oh, wow. It's got a bunch of the Marx Brothers. It's got some of the old Abbott and Costello. It's got movies like this. It's got a bunch of old Westerns. It's got a bunch of Jimmy Stewart films. It's got the movie Charade. Like it's a pretty deep library for free. Just it has some commercial breaks. I every time I've heard anybody talk about what's on Peacock, they always, always the first time they say, so on Peacock, there's always like a <laughs> like a, a wink and a nod as to like 
Yeah, this is a horrible name for an app. Who who yeah. thought it was a good idea to call this peacock? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really unfortunate. I've I've had no interest to check it out because it just looks like an also ran streaming network that's not going to last very long to me. I got something that is not a recommendation. Okay. <laughs> it's more of an oddity. I already oddity. like the sounds of this. It's more of an oddity. On Netflix, just this Friday came out. Now, I'm a kid of the 80s, and I loved this cartoon growing up. And I had the toys. I read the comic books. I was so into this. Transformers. There's a <laughs> new show on Netflix called Transformers War for Cybertron, the trilogy. So I, I think they're releasing three seasons. Um, <laughs> I like the way they planted their flag saying it's a trilogy. This show's <laughs> not good. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. And it was, I was actually got excited because Netflix created the Voltron show, which was yeah. another show I was very fond of as a kid. And that show is so much better than it has any right to be. That show is tremendous. It is yeah. like a reimagining of that show taking a schlocky kid show and actually giving it depth and interest and really good storytelling. Transformers War for Cybertron, uh, <laughs> not so much. It's it's made, I believe, by a Japanese company. It's it's anime and it's but it's it's computer generated anime, so it's 3D. But the visuals are kind of like okay. The show is literally and figuratively crazy dark, like. <laughs> every scene looks like it was shot in the middle of the night. There's no brightly lit scenes ever in the show. And the tone of the show is like, who, who, who wrote this? Because that was a kid's show that was supposed to be light and fun. And this is just the Autobots are almost completely wiped out. Uh, the Decepticons are trying to commit genocide. And it's just there's no lick of humor at all in the entire show. It is just bleak as all get out. This is not Michael Bay's Transformers. These are the original. They all look like the original toys, like from the original mm -hmm. cartoon, which for me, I was like, yes, that's awesome that they're like doing the original look. But the tone is so off and so wrong on so many levels. And then I'm halfway in. Season one's only six episodes. I've watched three episodes. It's starting to get interesting in the sense that they're trying to give a little bit of depth because the way that they're explaining the motivations between Optimus Prime and Megatron, they're really making a statement on hatred and war and the stupidity of it all. And they're giving Megatron actual motivations, mm -hmm. which the original show never did. Um, so he's you, you actually understand where Megatron's coming from, where the Decepticons are coming from. It's about class warfare and these people that were oppressed and thought they were oppressed by the Autobots for so long. And they rose up and tried to like break the cycle, but they took it too far. And now they're, you get, there's a lot of nuance between specifically Prime and Megatron, but it's so ham-fistedly done in the storytelling that it's completely lost. It, it, it's a hot mess. And there's something about, I'm, fa I'm fascinated. I'm watching it from the fascination of how bad it is. Mm. <laughs> I'm so disappointed, Sean. It's, yeah. it, and the fact that it's hysterical to me that this is a trilogy because what it feels like is we made 18 episodes and we're going to release them in three, six episode chapters. Arc, yeah. 
which is the quote trilogy. So it's it, to me, it's it's laughable that they're calling it a trilogy. It's not. I would I I would recommend watching it if you were a fr- a fan of tr- uh, Transformers just to kind of see what they're trying to do with it. Mm-hmm. But it's more of an oddity than a recommendation. But the dichotomy with like, you remember the, in the crappy show that we used to watch, it was the Decepticons always came up with some scheme and they tried to do the scheme and the Autobots always foiled their scheme. And it was like, at a certain point, it's like, you know, it's like playing a video game where somebody runs in the room, they die, they get up and they run right back into the room the way they did before and they die mm-hmm. and they keep doing it over and over again. It's like, you're not learning from your past mistakes. You just keep doing the same stupid thing over and over again. What mm-hmm. is wrong with you? Um, that was the plot of the original show week after week. And that's happening in this show. But then at the same time, they have this deeper, very adult tone and statement on war and hate and, you know, class warfare. And they're giving it this very adult spin. And it's like, wait, what, who is this for? Because you have this Mm -hmm. eight year old logic for their fighting. And then you have this 40 year old logic for this (laughs) crazy dark storyline right. who is this for it's like this is going to go over the heads and not be interesting to little kids and then on the flip side it's like it's the some of those fighting and the tactics are so childish as an adult i'm like this is that's just right. stupid why are you doing that right so it's 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 like i just don't know who this is for it's it's really strange because if it's just really strange it's an oddity it's it's worth watching for the oddity of what it is and you said it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. I think I will wait for it to be available on Peacock. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, thanks for listening. Please let us know what you think. If you disagree with Matthew about the Transformers, or if you disagree with me about Peacock, you can reach out to us on Twitter at stilltbdfm. You can reach out to me directly at by Sean Farrell. You can reach out to Matt at Matt Farrell or at Undecided MF. Please be sure to watch the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe to him. You can find us at stilltbd.fm. And you can subscribe through Spotify, iTunes, or any place where podcasts are available. Please be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. It really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew helps Peacock. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Talk to you next time.